0: This week's episode of Millions of Screens is brought to you by Lovecraft Country for your awards consideration. The HBO original drama that Rolling Stone hails is fantastic and a genre-bending tour de force. The series stars Jonathan Majors and Journey Smullett, whose unmissable performances the site are called top-notch and USA Today calls superb. Watch the full seasons of the year's most buzzed-about drama that blurs the line between science fiction and reality in 1950's Jim Crow America, now streaming on HBO Max. This <laughs> is...
1: The millions and millions of little screens. Can't you shut up? I'm busy. Boy, what a great show.
0: Hello and welcome to Millions of Screens. I'm co producer Leo Garcia, joined via Zoom by TV Awards editor Libby Hill and TVW editor Ben Travers. Today we're going to be talking about uh, Bridgerton's big numbers over the course of its first two weeks on Netflix, some Golden Globes category decisions that Netflix made for The Crown, and Ted Danson, being high, (laughs) getting high with Ted Danson.
1: Oh man, we gotta work that around. We can make that a podcast. We gotta have him
0: on the pod. We should have had him on the pod. Skipping ahead to the clicker, our recap of the biggest news items from the past couple of weeks because we were away. But as I mentioned up top, Netflix announced its supposed numbers that Bridgerton had 63 million viewers watchers people who tuned in at least for two minutes uh over the course of its first two weeks making it the fifth biggest show in the streamer's history ben are you surprised
1: uh no i am not surprised uh it was very well marketed and shonda is the shit uh plus it has a dairy girls star and people are really hungry for dairy girls content right now so it hit all the quadrants that you'd need to make a successful Netflix series uh, on December twenty fifth, two
2: thousand twenty. Yeah, it was adapted from a from a well received. Um, I said a series, I think, from from several decades ago. You know, it's telling a different story in that age, and it is. It, and while um, Shonda is is an executive producer on it, but it's it definitely is in line with. Her shows in very being very propulsive and um, very kind of soapy. Um, but I don't know if that's for me. I'm not the biggest soap fan, as we were discussing earlier. That's really Ben. Um, mm-hmm. OC forever. forever. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't. Uh, I've obviously heard very good things about it. I've heard a lot of people participating in the. Uh, in 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 the um discourse around it and um those are some very impressive numbers that we can't entirely rely on coming out of netflix <laughs> mm-hmm. um so i don't know i it's not it doesn't strike me as a surprise at all this is absolutely what they wanted to happen with this show what they expected to happen with this show
0: for the for those wondering what the top four shows were above bridgerton Please. they are tiger king is that of four of course it was Uh, Stranger Things season three is at number three. Money Heist part four is at number two.
2: That's wild to me.
0: And I mean, these are Netflix's numbers, obviously. Uh, and number one, I think we all know what number one has to be when you're talking about Netflix high viewer totals. The thing that the people want to see more of as soon as humanly possible. Yes, Libby? The Witcher. It is The Witcher. The Witcher is number one with 76 million views over the course of its first four weeks.
1: I really thought you were going to say Dairy Girls, but
0: no, it was The Witcher. I'm sorry. God, I love ben. Dairy
1: Girls. Well, I I don't want to rain on Bridgerton's parade by any means, and if these numbers are uh, are accurate, then they're fantastic, obviously. But I I do think that these numbers, especially at this time of year, point more to uh, kind of the the Netflix as a utility understanding of things than anything else. Um, Netflix, shortly before the Bridgerton announcement, also announced that The Midnight Sky, uh, the George Clooney movie starring Kyle Chandler, uh, among other people, uh, also. <laughs> I had can't believe gotten... you didn't just call
2: it the Kyle Chandler movie as directed I have to, by. I
1: have to, right, that would probably have been a more accurate way to phrase it. He's like um, fifth or sixth on the call sheet, isn't he? But he's number one in our hearts. And it got <laughs> 72 million viewers, supposedly. And no one is saying that the Midnight Sky is a great movie or something that should be turned into a franchise or anything that's like, "Wow, this is a this is such an amazing feat of anything." It is just the movie with George Clooney that is on over Christmas that a lot of people watched because they're home and they have Netflix. And I, I do that a feel lot that Bridgerton, of which is,
2: started,
1: <laughs> yes, well they have to finish it. I think we have, have to be clear, to Kyle Chandler. You have to know. There's. I, I don't right. doubt that they finished The Midnight Sky because...
0: All right. So there was some news coming out of Netflix that in terms of categories for awards, they're going to be submitting Josh O'Connor and Emma Corrin in lead as opposed to supporting. Uh, Libby, what does this mean in terms of, especially in lead actress? We're now, and I guess supporting because now Gillian Anderson is sort of on her own and supporting.
2: It's, it, it, it is definitely rebalancing the Crown's awards push. Um, what we know is this. Uh, last year, neither Tobias Menzies or Josh O'Connor got a ton of awards buzz. Uh, Tobias Menzies, of course, was playing Prince Philip and uh, was competing in lead. And uh, O'Connor was playing Prince Charles and uh, competing in supporting, the two have now swapped. Menzies will be competing in supporting, which makes much more sense. And O'Connor will be uh, competing in lead. Whether or not that helps their cases at um, the, at, at say the Golden Globes is unclear. What is clear is the thing that will help them the most is that succession is not in competition. <laughs> um, but the real question here is what this means for the actress and supporting actress candidates coming out of the crown. The most shocking thing about moving Emma Corrin to lead actress is that you are putting her directly in direct competition with Olivia Colman. Olivia Colman, who is uh, uh, a monument now in both film and television, uh, awarded for her uh, an Oscar for her work in The Favorite. Um, Recognized obviously with, with her work with the Crown, um, so putting Cornyn, who played uh, Princess Di, to to very great effect, is is a very interesting move and feels almost like a power move. As it feels almost like a vote of no confidence for Coleman to put their maybe most breakout unseen talent from season four in direct competition with the Queen herself. Um, as far as uh, uh, setting that aside, which is its own kind of interesting dynamic at play, moving Cornyn out of su- the supporting actress race seems to really clear the way for Gillian Anderson, who turned in a very lot of performance as Margaret Thatcher. Uh, I, I thought she was wonderful. But uh, Thatcher is such a mannered and particular personality um, with a very distinct way of talking and holding herself. Uh, I thought Anderson was amazing, but I don't know if it'll connect with other people. But now that she doesn't have to face off against Cornyn, uh, she has a much easier path, at least at the Golden Globes. The one thing is, is that there is always a chance of... um, Helena Bonham Carter, who plays Princess Margaret, to throw up a challenge. Um, Bonham Carter uh, had kind of a singular episode, a showcase episode, if you will, to kind of justify her existence in season four. It is not the best episode of the season, but she is doing a lot in it. Um, If anything... It feels curious to be moving Cornyn to lead actress and not Anderson as it feels as though Anderson takes up a much larger part of The Crown Season 4. Uh, arguably, I think that you could make the case that Cornyn, Anderson, and Coleman are are all three leads of Season um, of season 4, that they serve sort of a plate. Um like a, a braided, a threaded story um, showing how outsiders are treated uh, within the royal family and then the constant that makes those decisions. But um, sense has no place in the awards game, so <laughs> um, it'll be interesting to see the way this plays out, if it changes anything at all. Uh, just a reminder, we don't know anything about anything and uh, the awards are still uh, three to four months
0: away. Last year at the Golden Globes, as you said, so Olivia Colman did win in lead, Tobias mm-hmm. Menzies was uh, nominated uh, in, in lead, and then Helena Bonham Carter was nominated in supporting. Correct. Um, so
2: So, I would say this year,
0: we're way I assume
2: Colman gets back in, in lead. And I assume I, I assume Coleman, Coleman and Cornyn get in. I assume Anderson gets in and supporting. Um, I would guess O'Connor could get in and lead just because, I don't know. And it's possible Men- Menzies gets in too, even though I feel like we barely see him in season four. Um, it's possible because I'm having trouble remembering other dramas that exist at this moment. Uh, I'm sure they do, but uh, they aren't immediately springing to mind. That's sort of what uh, I was leading to. I was thinking, than, like, could this? Say, could they, have, they
0: have five actors in the across the categories. Could they get everyone in of those five that we've talked about?
2: I mean, they could, but there are also very serious contenders out there. You know, we. Were, y- you just said yourself. Uh, you were talking about Lovecraft Country. HBO has plenty of. Uh, Contenders there in Perry Mason uh, shows like that—they uh, do exist. It all—it all depends on what is top of mind when those voters get their ballots, and the Crown aired the most recently of all of them. So that's, I think, part of the reason it's at the top of our at the tip of our tongue. Um,
0: and as Ben mentioned pre pod, maybe they'll announce some Prince Charles casting news right before voting starts
2: (laughs) we were discussing that we still don't have an officially announced actor for season five and six i assume for prince charles uh the current rumor is still that uh star of the wire and the affair dominic west will be filling that role but it has yet to be confirmed uh for some reason i would expect that uh comes during um a particularly helpful time as the crown always seems to drop these little news tidbits um at the most beneficial time for the news cycle so i would expect that about the time that golden uh, that hfpa members start um filling out their ballots so look for that soon
1: no that was was pretty much where i was going as well because it, it feels to me much like they're they're actively positioning themselves in a in a in a position of strength that they're that they're trying to put their strongest players in the best chance to get all the nominations rather than pitting them against each other in any way. Like they just they just want to clear the way because, as you mentioned, like I laughed at it because of the the, the phrasing the phrasing that their biggest advantage is the fact that Succession isn't competing this year, but they of the five dramas nominated last year the crown and killing eve are the only ones that remain eligible Ozark could make like its way back into the race again but you know there's there's not a ton of like the heavyweight sitting there and because we know that the hfpa responds so strongly to the crown netflix could just be going all in and saying listen we think we can get all of these so we're going to put them in a position where uh we 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 feel like they're not competing against each other so much as you'd want to vote for both of them. Like you want to vote for Princess Diana and the Queen. Like you right. want to vote for the big names within the show as well as the people who played them. Um, so yeah, I, I'll be very interested to see how it plays out. Uh, but I, I uh, the maneuvering is, is uh, I think it's skillful. I think it's smart. It's
2: gamesmanship, it's gamesmanship.
0: Yeah. As Libby was just mentioning, Time for the thinly sliced meat of the podcast. <laughs> ben, you're welcome. Ben, you've been watching, binging, for review. No.
1: Well, they only gave me two episodes. Oh, you? So I, I don't think it counts as a binge. Yeah, he binged it. You binged the two episodes Watch. that they gave you. Watch of Mister. 44 minutes,
0: Mister. Mayor, uh, the Ted Danson vehicle from Tina Fey and Robert Carlock, right? And this led to you wanting to have this conversation. Well, first of all, can you tell us a little bit about Mr. Mayor before we get into portrayals of people under the influence of marijuana? But but first, tell us a little bit about Mr. Mayor and why you want to talk about this.
1: That's a, that's an excellent framework, Leo. Uh, if, if I didn't know for the fact that we hadn't rehearsed this, I would have expected that we had because... Uh, the the screeners for Mr. Mayor start with a warning not to spoil anything. It says that all spoilers are embargo. Don't spoil anything until after it comes out. And with a sitcom, typically that's not the focus. Uh, and with a sitcom that's this broad, uh, I don't really even know what they mean when they say don't spoil anything. Um, <laughs> so, Mr. Mayor, does Bobby is, is, Moynihan is, die
0: at the end of the pilot? no like <laughs>
1: i i mean i guess i can't say no because technically that's like the the, the spoiler, negation of a spoiler would mean that it's not right. a spoiler exactly. i don't know i see. i tend to think that it could be but anyway um mr mayor is is a very straightforward uh uh traditional broadcast sitcom in which a an unlikely person inhabits a very important role and in this case uh it's ted danson's uh rich <laughs> los angeles res- resident who made his money from billboards and then retired and then was motivated to run for mayor when the Los Angeles mayor unexpectedly quit. And he wanted to kind of inspire his daughter who thought he was just kind of a lethargic layabout who didn't do anything, even though he's just a man of a certain age who can absolutely retire and just enjoy his life after his wife passes away, but too much judgment. So he runs for office and wins. Um, It picks up like on his first day in elected office and his uh, his staff is trying to you know support him and and get the right messages out there. Uh, there's a councilwoman played by Holly Hunter who is kind of the very ultra progressive, left wing uh, instigator who just kind of picks and picks and picks at him uh, to like push him in the other direction. And it's all played in this very kind of broad comic style where there's not sharply drawn lines about like, he's a Democrat or Republican. There's no parties listed. Um, there's no like, like the issues are, are big and broad enough where like there's, they're not taking a specific stance on anything. Um, they're both just kind of caricatures of the expected people you see in those situations. So he's an older white haired rich person, but he's still, you know, progressive and accepting enough to be likable by for everybody. And she's kind of a, um, uh, like a <laughs> just a just a hard line uh always coming up with a reason to be mad at you uh parody of a of a liberal progressive but you know she works with everybody and and uh it's holly hunter you love her like she's great so um it's a very straightforward comedy and after two episodes i can just say that it plays a lot like what you'd expect a uh tina fey and robert carlock we conceived of this as a 30 rock spin-off and then uh, it turned out Alec Baldwin may not want to do it or was asking too much so then we changed it so it could be Ted Danson taking his place and then we moved it to Los Angeles it plays exactly like that on NBC um and yet the spoiler thing now has me worried <laughs> this this very random funny plot development in the second episode might play as a spoiler so consider this a spoiler warning that Ted Danson gets high in the second episode of Mr. Mayor, which airs Thursday, January 7th at eight thirty PM Eastern. Um, and it's fantastic. Like this, this is, this is the introduction to hopefully a, a, a thinly sliced meat, uh, a, but a broader conversation about um, people who get high on TV and whether or not <laughs> it's, it's endearing or infuriating and, there's something about there's there's something about Ted Danson doing this, and obviously uh, he's played you know a, just a multitude of characters over the years on television and in movies. He's done drugs as as many of them, uh, but I think to a specific generation, uh, and honestly anybody who's a Ted Danson just super fan, bored to death is the thing you think of when you think of Ted Danson getting high, and Ted Danson getting high obsessively in bored to death is one of the more endearing elements of any tv show that i can think of like it's just something that when you see his character enter a scene uh it's like he's the like the kramer sidekick sitcom character and yet you don't know to what degree of which he's just you know baked out of his gourd in that very moment and so many of his storylines are devised around him getting pot or getting better pot or just enjoying the pot that he has and he's got this kind of aura about him in which he can be kind of um not the center of attention and kind of hanging in the background and still steal focus because he's just a star but he can also just turn it on and off where you know he can earn that spotlight if you need him to or you know drift back away from it and in mr mayor he's doing it in a little bit more of a broad comic light he's he's Uh, almost done it accidentally and then he's put into scenarios where it could trigger him to be either you know uh, laughing when he shouldn't be laughing or uh, angry when he shouldn't be angry or paranoid when he shouldn't be paranoid in in these very public scenarios Um, and that's where a lot of the comedy comes from but the way that Danson plays it like he's just so nuanced in 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 his exact stage of being high that it adds an extra layer to it it adds like kind of an identifiable enjoyment where you are familiar with the scenario that he's in but you also just really enjoy watching ted danson play it out and you know danson is this is this tv icon he's uh uh, the, the one of the most liked people in hollywood he can show up on curb your enthusiasm and steal a scene like that from larry david even in you know the best of the seasons uh and he can be that very authoritative uh, commanding central figure he can represent just about anything you need him to and to see him also go so far the other way with it where he's just this giant tall white-haired gentleman uh, baked out of his gourd slinking into the background of an suv like just kind of like huddling into himself and 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 appreciating the silliest things you can imagine at this uh, unbelievably high rate I just love it, guys. I'm sorry. I'm hoping to find something deeper within this conversation than just he's really good at it and I love it. But I think it might just be that. He's really good at it. I love it. And I'm very happy he's back doing that, even for just an episode.
0: Well, I think there's something too. what you're... And this is coming from my very rude brain, but, like, there's something to, like, just late career Ted Danson finding humor in unexpected places. I think, like, a lot of the best moments of Michael on The Good Place... Are when he is reveling in the idiotic things that people love. Uh, I mean, the most the famous sample is like the paper clips in the in the tub. But like that feels like a very that feels like a very like I'm high right now. Aren't these? Isn't it crazy that people love these things? Like I love these things. And I think. Him writing the, the the song about the train to funk town or whatever it is. I don't know the exact title. And like he's trying to work on various versions of that song. Like these are all things that like a half half cocked high brain would do. And it's not said overtly uh, in the good place, but like that that feels like a similar energy, sight unseen to what you were talking about uh, in Mr. Mayor.
1: I mean it is it is that you can appreciate the specificity of both those things. Like you can appreciate in the good place who he's playing he's playing um i mean spoilers spoilers, but an other other otherworldly being who uh who isn't familiar with these these things he's he's only seen them from afar so to be able to interact with them kind of uh you know in in person so to speak or, or physically tangibly however you want to say it that does like elicit this kind of childlike joy and then when he's when he's high it's like the the person he is like he's still so much in character it's not like he's allowing himself to just become like oh i just i'm goofy now oh i'm just scared now like he doesn't just kind of have a general sheen of doing it he can still apply you know as an actor should he can still apply situationally to uh to to the state of mind that this person is in and um Yeah, like it's just, it's just he's just very good at it. He's both very convincing, and then he, he's able to uh, elicit these reactions almost always that are uh, that are unique to that moment. So it's like you can keep appreciating it instead of it being nostalgic, where you're just dipping back and seeing him do it again. It's not like he's not like when uh, he was on the Good Place and he played a bartender, and you're like. You know they were very subtle about it but you're still sitting there going "Ooh, we get to see him be a bartender again that's pretty cool it's not like that it's it's very much like a new discovery each time he, he gets hired or, or does something um kind of uh, silly and, and uh throwback so uh anyway. but before we start recording God, the
2: good place was just exclusively made for stoners right i'm just thinking about the cactus guy
1: <laughs> uh-huh
2: and uh I just, it makes me laugh every time. Um I mean the
0: good place and yeah, the would, good place was envisioned by a stoner. <laughs> I, I wouldn't say that that
1: kind you. of gag though is the thing that I could see someone getting stuck on and then you miss the humor as it keeps going. Like you are still thinking about how funny that one moment was, but the episode has progressed and if you're so uh but before we start recording uh,
0: Ben's wanting to talk about how good Ted Danson is in Mr. Mayor at portraying someone under the influence uh, sparked uh, various other thoughts. Libby, do you want to talk about a portrayal of someone who's high uh, that you think is, is really excellent?
2: Yeah, actually, I have do, because as Ben was talking, I thought about um, an old pull of one of the, I think, one of the best sitcom episodes, it, it is definitely up there for for sitcom episodes, but also uh, one more recently, which is when the most recent season of Better Things, we see Sam get medical marijuana and kind of lose her shit. There is something very amusing, I think, about seeing people of a certain age, um, people who very well can or probably were stoners back in in their old life, uh, re encountering pot as adults, or as uh, as very as more refined citizens? And there's something about that um, that uh, I can't think of the word. Um, th- there 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 is something about that dissonance that is so inherently funny, um, which is just yeah is 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 a testament to say um, Ted Danson's talent. But, but it is an inherently pr- funny premise for all of the reasons that you, you outlined, Ben. And I think the same thing is true with Adlin. Uh, she's very, um, it, it's very, it's very small things and she really captured the uh, panic of when you realize you're high, um, but then the panic of realizing you're way too high, um, which I thought was very beautiful. But talking about that reminded me of an old episode of Roseanne called a "Stash from the Past," when Dan and Roseanne um, find weed that they're afraid was the kids, and then they realize it was their old stash that they had put there. And they and um, they end a very, very obviously fictionally pregnant um, Jackie, uh, the wonderful Laurie Metcalf. Um, get high and it's they don't know how to handle it it's very amusing uh uh, Jackie at one point thinks because she is so pregnant and sitting in the bathtub uh that everything has shrunk around her um that she's just huge and and there's something about John Goodman and uh Laurie Metcalf um being under the under the influence of of marijuana because it's different than playing drunk it is a, a step removed it is less it is a little less familiar and accessible to many people and um, and it's something that you know we didn't really allow on television a lot um, until we got much closer to the legalization of marijuana. Um, and so it was always it is still always such a treat to, to see people playing in that in that play box, uh, in that sandbox when it's not like high maintenance or <laughs> yeah <laughs> or or it's definitely baked in. Yeah.
1: oh nailed it (laughs) in. it's 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 also worth mentioning that like like you said because it it has been it because it's not as immediately or or presumably as familiar to a lot of people who are watching uh it's treated that way by a lot of people in that you know and plenty of shows when somebody gets high or or stoned or whatever like it's like the writers are given an excuse to do whatever they want with that. They don't have to, they don't have to try to look at it from like, well, what would they actually be like or how would that actually affect them? It just lets them be like, well, they can be as loopy and weird and crazy and see things and like all this stuff as they as we want them to be. So one of the things that was great about Adlon's uh, interpretation of it was that she also had to direct herself in that scene. So like she made a lot of choices with how that scene was shot and kind of the way that the camera started to move, like, especially along its axis, like, that that would emphasize the state that she was in without, you know, betraying the reality of it for her. So, like, I really liked seeing that as well. I liked seeing kind of the, not only is she going to go to that very comic place of I've, I've gotten way too high and I don't know what to do, uh, even though eventually she does handle it pretty well, um, but we're going to see the interpretation of that from somebody who wants to treat it not seriously, but treat it realistically. Um, and, and I feel like Danson dials into that same wavelength where it's like, I really want to understand how this person would be feeling in this moment. I don't want to just be given a license to do whatever I want. I want to have the specific thing to work with and then go from there. And that's what, you know, a, a really good actor can do. So it's nice to see those portrayals. And I and,
0: think to Libby's yeah, point, I to it. Libby's point, like about as we move closer to, you know, uh, legalization across all fifty states. Uh, as whenever that happens, like we're still currently in the silver age, I'd say, of like marijuana on television. And I think, like, if you think back to like the earliest filmed uh, versions of people being drunk, it's obviously super cartoonish. It's the hiccup, it's the uh, you know asleep in a in a trough or whatever. Like it's just like these insane things that like don't really happen to everyone. And I think then as as we've gone along, we've gotten more accurate portrayals. That can be used for both dramatic and comedic uh, tellings. I think the same thing will happen with uh, with pot as it becomes something that is less... I used to hate when you'd see portrayals of marijuana. It's like it felt like it was LSD. And it's like, that's not quite what it is. That's like there, all these other drugs that don't do the things that uh, that pot does just because it was like this catch-all for like, this is a psychedelic trip. Illegal. Yeah, drug. here's, here's yeah. a trip. It's just like mushrooms it's just, but it's like those are all very different things um and so i think as it becomes legal as more people experience it they'll notice that like it is different uh it is nuanced and there's plenty of comedy and drama to be mined therein uh it just takes a little bit of digging i don't have a cool pun like libby head uh you gotta chuck out you gotta you gotta cool. you gotta scrape out the resin <laughs> to get to the... To get the the real solid nugs, the dank nugs. That's yeah, where the dank nugs are. You didn't have a, you didn't have a cool <laughs> have one. Like a cool one. Uh, I've never partaken. I have no idea. <laughs> 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 Millions of Screens is a production of the Penske Media Corporation and our Theme Music features excerpts of the classic YouTube video Bjork talking about TV and Willie Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Our editor-in-chief is Dana Harris-Brightson, our publisher is James Israel, and our executive editor is Ann Donahue. Our favorite stars of The Crown that we hope to see reprise their performances in season six are Jared Harris, Vanessa Kirby, and Olivia Colman. Millions of Screens endorses Elizabeth Elizabeth Debicki in anything. I gotta see Widows. I gotta watch Widows gotta watch Widows. You can find us on Twitter at a million screens at Midwest Spitfire at Ben T. Travers and at Leo Andrew Garcia. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. So leave a review and let us know what you think. This is Ben, Libby, and Leo Remind you as always that you shouldn't let poets lie to you. You shouldn't let
2: poets
0: lie to you. Ain't nothing wrong with a couple of cold brews and a cool podcast. <laughs>